On this episode of the This Is Believeland podcast, I would like to welcome back Tim Ryder. Hey, James. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, thought I'd give you a call back again, uh, you know, have a discussion with you about a uh, couple topics, most mostly about the Mets uniforms. Uh, you know, the, the Mets uniforms are, are interesting since they, they took uh, their primary colors, blue and orange, from the two teams that started off in New York but left. That's right. Uh, it was, uh, I guess, Dodger blue and giant orange. Uh, also, the two colors of the New York state flag are blue and orange. And, uh, yeah, they, um, I guess you could say they wanted a little bit of tradition. Um, and, and thankfully, uh, I love the Mets uniforms and I, that's probably a little biased, but, uh, it, it hasn't really changed much since the, you know, the, uh, the inauguration of the ball club, the, the home uniform is pretty much exactly the same as it is today. They've tinkered with it in the past, but, uh, they came back to tradition and, um, you know, that's liked. There are other variations that certainly uh, uh, get the fan base in an uproar to a certain extent. Some love and some hate, some like uh, traditionalism. But, you know, we'll see how that shakes out. You know, I know that uh, they have pinstripes on their uniforms. I, I know. Uh, are you a fan of the pinstripes in the uniforms? I know sometimes people are just like they associate pinstripes with the Yankees. So is that well, an issue you for know. you? That was the that was the original uniform for the Mets. That's fine by me. Okay, I mean, I know with some the white pinstripes. I guess it was like a cream color. The the uniform, the jersey itself was more of a cream color back in the beginning. But uh, yeah, the pinstripes. You know, other teams have the pinstripes. Sure, the Yankees. The Yankees don't have a trademark on the pinstripes. That's just my <laughs> my angry Mets fan coming out. I mean, that's totally fair. You mentioned they tinkered with it a little bit. Uh, I think one of the the most, uh, I guess most that they messed with it was the the 80s version of the uniforms where everyone sort of had a similar style that kind of uh leaked into the early 90s for a little bit were you a fan of those or you know the looks like they had like racing stripes on them were you a fan of those the the piping down the side sure and that just might that might be just nostalgia talking because the uh, the world series run in 86 but uh yeah those are very cool uniforms even when they break them out i guess they wore them on the 20th anniversary so in 2006, they wore them on Sundays. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, seeing David Wright and Noah Syndergaard. And then again in 2016, I believe they did it too. Uh, all wearing the uh, the 86 uniforms. That was definitely pretty cool. And even up until like the early 90s, they added a, a tail at the bottom. Like, you know, Mets yeah. in script across the front. They added a big tail at the bottom. And a lot of people don't like those. And I was, you know, I think that was 92. So I'm just like a 9, 10-year-old kid. I loved them. Mm-hmm. I still have a Dwight Gooden. My daughter wears it. It's a Dwight Gooden <laughs> spring training jersey with that funky Mets with the tail on it. And, uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> uh, I'm used to, uh, you know, uh, jerseys with a tail on. You know, the Indians has the little thing going on it just in a similar fashion like the Mets did. Uh, that yeah, just tail like it. Exactly. Yeah, just like that. You know, I'm used to that. So, you know, with... I guess that might have been an area where people may not have liked it. Maybe you said you liked it, so I, I guess it's a... I did. I think I might be in the minority, though. Okay. I mean, it's that's probably like the most that they tinkered with the... or messed with the logo a little bit, was, is that particular uh, font and styling with the little Well, tail yeah, on. and then they, they turned things on its end when they, when they added a third color a few years later. Uh, that seems to be a divisive... Uh, subject among Mets fans and you know uh, every time I see Mets Twitter 
or I stumble onto it, and it's a it's a conversation about the black uniforms and you know any version or addition of the color black to the Mets color spectrum. Well, okay, I see both sides of this argument. Um, at the time, I you know let's say that was early 2000s mid 2000s they incorporated the uh the blacks or even before that probably i think it was late 90s late 90s yeah so yeah you know i'm a teenager i'm i enjoyed it i thought it was a little gimmicky just because hey this you know black's not in our color scheme but whatever you know when they wore them the team was doing well at the time so uh that always helps um (laughs) you know now it's kind of associated with with good times Mm -hmm. but for some people. And, um, I guess the leading voice of opposition would be Howie Rose, who's the radio <laughs> voice, former TV voice as well, but he's the radio voice of the New York Mets. He's one of the game's best, um, very much against the black uniforms <laughs> and has no shame in making his, uh, his opinion known, uh, does not like them. Now the current team, uh, your Pete Alonzo's, your Marcus Stroman's have been at the forefront. They love the black uniforms. They want the black uniforms back in the rotation. I think Friday night, uh, rotation spots were being discussed. I'm not sure if that gained traction, but uh, a lot of the fan base, I shouldn't say a lot because it seems like it's a 50-50 split most of the time. Uh, there's there's a, a sizable portion of the fan base who absolutely loves the black uniforms, and there's a large portion who just detests them. And uh, like I said, I see both sides of the argument. I, I, you know, I think it would be cool. I think that these new this new team uh, wearing them, especially in the 20 year anniversary of 2020 would be uh, pretty cool. Um, you know, if they choose not to, I wouldn't lose sleep over it, but uh, yeah, sure. If they want to mix it up, I think I'd be okay with that. Yeah. I, I can see why people would have, have an issue with adding, you know, another color to, you know, the base of colors that a team uses, uh, especially when, you know, black has never, been a part of the Mets and they decide to just introduce it when a lot of other franchises and other sports were introducing some sort of alternate black uniform. Uh, it, I get the idea, you know, it, it, it looks cooler, it looks sleeker, it's something different. It's a way to generate revenue and I think that might be why some people were not a fan of it. They just saw it as a money grab. Um, but from, an, from my perspective, what I, what I see is I, I don't have a problem with it, but again, I'm not like, I guess, engrossed in, in Mets fandom like you are, but they don't necessarily have a like a dark dominant color that draws a, that black is drawing away from. You know, blue's a darker color, but that specific shade of blue is not like dark, dark. It's not, yeah. it, you know, so it, it can actually work with the blue and the orange and and, and the white. I just I think that their color scheme w- works with black when they decide to use it from time to time. Oh, it certainly works. And um, you know, it, it's it's quote unquote cool to an extent. I like it. Just some people are very much traditionalists. Some people uh, really enjoy the aesthetic, <laughs> the aesthetically pleasing blue and orange. And I get that. I totally get that. I think that the Mets. Again, a little biased. I think the Mets have one of the cooler uniforms and and our traditional logo, the Mets over the skyline. I think that's one of the coolest logos in sports. But, um, you know, some people are just kind of stuck in their ways, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with uh, with being a traditionalist when it comes to these things. But um, you know, it's out of our hands. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get all get get a, get in an uproar over it. 
Um, I still have my David Wright black. I think it's my the last season at Shea. I think I still have that in my closet somewhere. So oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, we wore it to his. Uh, I wore it to his last game uh, when he came back for a couple of games uh, in the twenty nineteen. Excuse me, twenty eighteen season. Yeah, I, I mean, introducing black into a color scheme is not the easiest thing to do. Because uh, certain well, teams, you, you, know. just, you just can't do it. Like, you can't insert black into the, the Indians' color scheme. It just wouldn't work right. No, but that dark blue looks so good, though. I like yeah. those those third. I always, all I can think of now is Davis hitting that home run. Cause <laughs> that's the night they were wearing those home runs. And uh, Oral Hershiser, I want to say, wore that uniform very well. I mean, yeah. I mean, that, that Indians' dark blue just looks good. Because they have a, a good, dominant, darker blue color where, yeah. you know, it's... It's, I mean, like I said, the Mets colors, dark colors, blue, but it's not like an overly dark blue. So introducing yeah. a darker color to the, you know, <laughs> the uniforms, it works. Oh, sure. It works. Well, and I agree. I, I think it looks, um, you know, it's cool. I like the, the, some people see, now it comes down to the hat and that's where some people also get their uh-huh. feathers ruffled. Um, when the Mets wore the all black, well, the black uniforms, the black jersey tops. Mm-hmm. They would either wear an all-black cap with mm-hmm. the traditional blue and orange NY, or they would wear a black cap with a blue brim. Now, I'm one of the. I, I, this is where I have an opinion. Okay. The black cap with the black hat with the blue brim is just silly to me. Okay. That just makes no sense. All black have the NY in the middle, the blue and orange NY, because you can't just do the yellow NY as as we usually have. Uh, the yellow, excuse me. The orange NY as we usually have, because uh, then it would just be a New York Giants hat, which mm-hmm. that wouldn't that wouldn't work, even though their uniforms were awesome. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's the best of both worlds. I just thought that adding the blue brim was just too much, and it kind of uh, it just didn't go well together. That 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 those aesthetics just weren't there. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the the black hats that they have there. I have to agree, the all black hat looks better. Uh, oh just, yeah, it, I wore that thing for years. It just it, it 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 draws away from the the blue and the orange and the NY with the blue brim, so having it all black it allows the NY to stick out more. Yeah, you know I think they tinkered with it a little bit. I, I want to say the originally the hats were all black and then they started incorporating the blue brim, and and you know just had a little tinkering they they had to even though you know arguably they got it right with the first with just with just the all black. Um, they had to find their way. Hey, at least we're not going back to the all orange Los Mets jerseys. I think the Los <laughs> Mets jerseys are very cool, but the all orange was just too much. Oh, it was just uh, – it was an eyesore, and uh, I'm glad that those got retired. Now, oh, I can believe look this up now. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was all orange. And, and you know, I love Ooh. when they do the Los Mets jerseys. They're, they're very cool, the, especially, the, I guess, the all white. There was Los Mets where the first ones were all white with no pinstripes, or maybe I'm wrong. But uh, – yeah, the all orange seen, Mets. I'm only seeing blue and orange here. Oh, oh okay. I see. I see an all white one. Okay, I, see, I found a white yeah, one. Yeah, the blue ones. I love the blue alternates. I wish that. I hope they keep those in the rotation. I really like those. I'd say. Uh, <laughs> again, you always. Whenever you think of a uniform scheme, there's always one player that comes to mind. For me, it's uh, Curtis Granderson. I oh, think okay. He, uh, he rocked the blues very well. I like. I love the uh, our blue aways with the New York in that lettering across the front. Love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I mean, these these look really cool. Uh, orange ones, little much. Uh, but you know, the blue, the white, yeah. they look solid. Uh, 
the, the first player jersey that came up was a Matt Harvey jersey. So, uh, awesome. And that was the orange one. That, that's a guy. That's a guy who deserves another chance. Um, you know, if he's healthy, uh, he's still in his early thirties. There's really not a lot of mileage on that. If he's healthy, I really hope he gets a minor league deal somewhere. I mean, he just seems, let's see, he's 31. He seems like he's someone that might have gotten his own way at some, at some times. Um, whether that's entirely his fault. That's up for debate. Yeah, whether it was his fault or not, I mean, he came out recently and said, oh, I made mistakes. I know I made mistakes, but, um, I, you know, I regret him. You can't change him. And it sounds like he just wants to move forward. And, uh, you know, it's, there's been a lot of speculation whether the Mets would, well, whether either him or the Mets would be interested in a, in reuniting or giving this another try. But, uh, if I'm a Mets fan and if I'm in the front office, a minor league deal would be just such minimal risk, um, with the possibility for a high reward. And if it doesn't work out, I think everyone walks away like, hey, we gave it a shot. But uh, it is what it is. I mean, I know Matt Harvey had a good three seasons. He missed all of 2014. But outside of that, he has been rather forgettable as a, as a pitcher. Um, well, yeah, well, it, it, thoracic, outlet, thoracic outlet syndrome, you know, wiped out his career. That was... Uh, that was a big, big point. Like he came back from Tommy John and had a, another magic year. And then uh, <laughs> some people might say his his innings limit, they should have gone the Strasburg route in 2015 and cut him off before the postseason because uh, whatever he was doing or whatever was going on inside his body, it led to uh, thoracic outlet syndrome, which absolutely, you know, cut his career in half, uh, just cut it down. And, you know, there was other extracurricular whispers of things going on and um you know these things happen it is what it is but from what we're seeing from him now i guess he put a video up on instagram he's healthy he's uh he's throwing strikes he he was speaking i believe with the new york post saying you know he just wants an opportunity um matt harvey coming out of the bullpen with his repertoire of pitches if he's at his even at his thirty-one year old best, I think that's a that's a, an asset. That's a value to any ball club, mm-hmm. and I would personally love to see it in New York. I think that um, I think everyone would kind of be on board with that. Yeah, it's it's so disappointing the way that that all unfolded uh, with it is. with how his career has gone, where he's ended up, and the fact he's currently uh, jobless. Um, I know uh, Mets fans are not entirely big fans of your former manager, Mickey Calloway, but I thought that <laughs> if anyone was going to help him regain his form, I thought it was going to be Mickey Calloway because of how good of a d- job he did in Cleveland. It's funny you say that. Um, my first article for, uh, I believe it was my first article for Metsmerized, was probably right after Mickey Calloway was hired. And I believe my first article was Matt Harvey is going to uh, is going to benefit from the hiring of Mickey Calloway. I think we were all thinking that. I think it, you know, a lot of the fan base, a lot of the fan base was um, was was pretty excited about Mickey coming here. He had a lot of uh, a lot of buzz to him. He obviously did a very good job with the pitching staff in Cleveland. Um, you know, and nothing against Mickey. I'm sure he's a very nice guy, but he just seemed a little bit overmatched at the in in the the first seat on the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that his time with Joe Madden in, in Anaheim or Los Angeles will uh, kind of give him a little bit more experience 
And I, I, I see him getting another shot as a manager, but maybe he wasn't ready for this New York job. I mean, the Mets are a hard franchise to be a manager for. Uh, <laughs> That's fair. That's to be, very fair. To begin with. Add in the fact that you, there's always some sort of uh, ridiculousness that seems to go on in one way or another. Um, yeah. You know, uh, shout out Mets Misery Bracket again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe if he started off in a smaller market in his first manager job, then worked his way up to New York, it would have been different. But going from bench coach or, you know, pitching coach in Cleveland to, you know, the manager in New York, not necessarily is the easiest transition. Maybe if he started off somewhere like, I don't know, Kansas City or, you know, Colorado or Arizona, he could have, you know, been a better manager along the way. And, you know, maybe his second stop was the Mets after starting somewhere else. You know, he did start off, he started off the season, I started off his tenure uh, decent had a nice long winning streak um you know when he had a lot of talent there and I, I think the seams just started coming apart and I do think a smaller market might have been better I think maybe the New York media did um I don't want to say scare them off but uh you know they they're uh, they're a tough tough bunch and they they do ask very very intricate questions and um you know the Mets as an organization haven't always been a uh I don't want to say fully transparent, but there's always um, a message that the managers kind of give across. And that might be on the manager's side. Terry Collins was very outspoken. So going from Terry Collins to Mickey, who wasn't necessarily tight lipped, but um, he wouldn't give away too much of his thought process during press conferences. And I think that rubbed people the wrong way, especially coming from Terry Collins. And and then under the New York media, that's just magnified times a million. Mm-hmm. And um and and then he messed up the batting order. I'm not sure if you heard about. <laughs> this. Of course, I know about this. It's in okay. The, okay, it's, good, in, good. it's in the it's in the misery bracket. It is in the misery bracket. That's right. Okay, so Mickey messed up the batting order, and um, you know, I want to say just you know, I was rooting for Mickey, but I and so bad I want to be like, hey, these things happen, but they really don't happen. Um. And, you know, they brought in, uh, now I can't think of his name, bench coach, longtime manager with the Nationals, with the bench coach with the Cubs. Come on. Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Riggleman, Jim Riggleman. Yes. Who was supposed to fix all these things. And, uh, yeah, and then, and then it happened. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I think that was, um, that was the nail. And, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. Mickey brings a lot to the table. He's, he obviously connects with his players. He, um, There were ups and downs from outside looking in in the locker room at times, but that's going to happen with any major league ball club. And after that, there was a considerable down. There was a weekend in Miami, and the Marlins were just an awful team. And, you know, sitting at home on the couch, it appeared that the Mets had quit on Mickey. And I said mm-hmm. that. And uh, lo and behold, you know, they rattled off a, a very, very competitive month and uh, found themselves back in the thick of things. But, yeah, I, I did find myself rooting for Mickey to do well here. But, um, yeah, the the New York media and the New York fan base, they will um, – it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of thing. And that's, that's a shame. Like Terry Collins, I'm going to go back to Terry. He did a very, very good job here um, getting the most out of players. That was Terry's M.O. 
did he put his team in tougher positions because maybe he cared too much about his players sometimes or or possibly you know let's look at Matt Harvey mm-hmm. he wanted Matt Harvey to succeed so 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 bad maybe Terry doesn't put Matt Harvey out there and maybe he takes the backlash because everybody wanted Matt out there all of us want, wanted Matt Harvey out there for the ninth in the World Series but mm-hmm. uh, Terry you know he, he, he obviously also wanted Matt out there and it kind of backfired on him but you know with Mickey, you, you, I guess I should say with Terry, it kind of felt like he was weighing all these options and he would pick whatever his gut went with. Mickey, you just felt like he was guessing half the time. And that's, I know that's not a fair characterization because none of us are in the dugout. None of us know what's going on here. But I think the level of confidence from the fans in Mickey um, was never that high after a hot start. And um you know, I guess the the blemishes came to came to the forefront, and um, people harped on those. And that's uh, maybe it is a byproduct of being in New York. But uh, yeah, I kind of just went on a whole little Mickey Mickey rant. I guess I had to settle out some own some internal feelings regarding Mickey because uh, I'm very torn. I, I do think that he can bring a lot to the table, but yeah, I don't know if he wasn't ready, or maybe New York wasn't the right first stop for him. But uh. I think time under Joe Madden in with the Angels is going to do very well for him, and I think the Angels are going to be a, a heck of a ball club this year. My goodness. Yeah, I think they'll I think they'll be pretty good. But uh, one last thing about about Mickey Callaway is yeah, uh, the pitching staff he had there. Um, the expectations for them were so high, and the fact that you know Matt Harvey didn't necessarily. Uh, perform that well under Mickey Calloway while he was still there and you know you see some of the other guys also struggle and they didn't necessarily perform up to expectations overall and it's just like pitching supposed to be this guy's specialty and it's not really showing with the with the Mets pitching staff I, I guess that would be a, sort of a source of frustration well you know being that Mickey came here as a quote-unquote pitching guru um, there was some inconsistencies, but overall, lots of guys did take strides. I think Zach Wheeler, um, coming off of, you know, Tommy John surgery and a hellish trek back to, uh, to being healthy, um, flourished in 2018 under, um, Mickey Calloway, especially in the second, in the second half, he was better than or right up there with Jacob deGrom and Jacob deGrom was a uh, runaway NL Cy Young that season. Um, Noah Syndergaard, uh, again, you know, terrific, terrific pitcher, did have inconsistencies, but I wouldn't necessarily put that on Mickey. I think Noah's kind of at that play. We were just speaking with Dennis Cook, who was a left-handed reliever for the Mets back in the early 2000s in our previous show on our podcast, Simply Amazing. Mm-hmm. And he, he referenced the difference between a pitcher and a thrower. Mm-hmm. And Noah definitely came up as a thrower, and he's was just starting to grasp the pitcher side of it before he got hurt. So, but, um, I think he was just in that process. I wouldn't quite put that on Mickey. Um, Steven Matz again, took very, very big strides under Mickey and that staff. Um, I think Mickey did a very good job with the pitching staff. I think the, um, you know, Matt Harvey, by the time Mickey got him, uh, you know, thoracic outlet syndrome had just ravaged his body. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think in any circumstance, no, no one, I don't think, uh, you know, Warren Spahn could have come back as a pitching <laughs> coach and got Matt Harvey to, to, to perform well that season. He just wasn't healthy, but, um, I mean, I, I don't knock Mickey. I, 
yeah. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, that's it's totally fair. I was just I was just speaking because of uh, you know the names of the pitchers and you know what they've done before, and you have you know Mickey Callaway come in, did such a good job with the Indians, and you know helped help them engineer that uh, almost improbable run to the Game Seven of the World Series in 2016, and you know they were getting the most out of guys that have no business pitching in the spots that they were, you know, like Josh Tomlin or, you know, the one game of Ryan Merritt, uh, four fingers of Trevor Bauer. Um, yeah. It, I, I guess expectations were probably, you know, like he did that with these guys. What's he going to do with, you know, what we have here with the Mets? You know what I mean? Well, I don't know, man. And, I mean, Zach Wheeler, Zach Wheeler pitched to a 1.68, well, excuse me, 1.68 ERA in the second half in, in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's coming off of a two-year layoff. I think Mickey did a very, very good job with him. Uh, Jacob deGrom, of course, you know, Mickey's first season was 2018. And, uh, Correct. That 1.70 ERA. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and he's just been on a, on a ridiculous streak ever since. Um, I do think that Mickey brought a certain, uh, a certain, plus to the pitching staff and um sure you know the bullpen last especially last year with so many um inconsistencies and shortcomings regarding i guess specifically edwin diaz and familia and and guys like that but you know look at seth lugo Mm -hmm. we talked about him last time i was on your show i believe Yeah. yeah um you know he's turned into um one of the best relievers in the national league and that all that came under mickey's watch i know his players did you know Again, not a lot of news came out. There was support from the players, but mm-hmm. um, I guess when it really counted, it was kind of just, "Hey, this is part of the game." But um, he had support in the locker room, like his their, his pitching staff. I, it looks like they they really did enjoy playing for him. I know him and Noah butted heads, especially with the uh, catching request last season. But yeah, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, these things are going to happen. But hopefully, Mickey comes back and gets another job. And I think that. Uh, Everything that happened in New York, it was an, it was a learning experience for him. I'm certainly rooting for him. Yeah, I, I'd like to see him uh, get back on his feet and hopefully end up back in a, a managing position at, at some point. Um, you got to think Francona. Francona's run is probably not coming to an end, but it's not going to last forever. You know, I could see Mickey coming back to Cleveland. He had success there. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. Uh, I know a lot of people within the fan base uh, were hoping that uh, Callaway would be Francona's successor here in Cleveland, but obviously Callaway left before that was even an option. Uh, and, you know, part of that could have been because, um, <clears throat> you know, Francona just keeps managing maybe longer than people initially expected him to. Oh, I, I think he's a... Very good manager. I would take Terry Terry Francona and Queens in a heartbeat. <laughs> no, and don't get me wrong. I like Luis Rojas a lot, and I'm sure you guys have a much better, um, a much closer look at at how Terry kind of handles his business. Mm-hmm. But fr- from afar, very very big fan. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his work. Uh, some people uh, tend to gripe about things every once in a while. Uh, players bunting. Uh, Going with you know veterans, you know the whole my guy type of thing. Ah, the Terry Collins, the Terry Collins approach, of course. <laughs> uh, you know, not giving the the younger players a chance, and you know, see them you know flourish for some part of a season or you know one season elsewhere. Then, of course, that becomes a source of everyone's bitching. 
uh, you know, because we had Jesus Aguilar here in Cleveland, then he had that one year where he hit, just went off in Milwaukee, and now he's back to being a part-time player. Um, we had Yandy Diaz here. We traded him to get Carlos Santana back. He's now in Tampa, and he was suddenly hitting home runs, something he never did before. Uh, you know, we had Giovanni Urshela, you know, uh, place of the Yankees now. He was here. And yeah, right. Uh, we let him go. And <laughs> I mean, Toronto also let him go. Uh, the, the Yankees fixed his swing, which <laughs> he apparently wasn't finishing his swing. <laughs> he wasn't do- completing a follow through. <laughs> was apparently the issue. So, yeah. I mean, but on the other hand, the guys that are playing those positions of the guys we let go were, you know, Jose Ramirez and Carlos Santana. So I'd rather have those two than the other three guys I just mentioned. Sure, because that's a foundation. And I, I like those guys too. And I think there's a lot. Of, I know we spoke about Mercado last time I was on the show and uh-huh. he's exciting. I think, yeah, there's um, there's a future there. I don't think it's going to be this, um, this, this long pronounced rebuilding era. I think that, uh, Things will pick up quick in, in Cleveland. I really do. Yeah, I do too. Uh, you know, one sticking point people have is uh, this. I don't know if you uh, know who Greg Allen is. Are you familiar with Greg Allen? Uh, not nec- No, not really. Okay. He's essentially a fourth, fifth outfielder type. He's a switch hitter. Doesn't hit for power. He had like a two-week run like two years ago where he was like really good. But outside of that, he's nothing special. Everyone remembers yeah, fifth, fifth outfielder. Okay. Everyone remembers the two week run, but everyone forgets the. It doesn't realize that you know what he does over stretched over an entire season won't isn't sustainable. <laughs> yeah, tw- yeah, twenty twenty for a hundred isn't going to cut it. Yeah. Hey, yeah. we, we, we all know those type of players. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, he's a guy that should play if he's going to play like once, maybe twice a week. Uh, most of his appearances should be defensive replacement or pinch runner. That's what he is. But, I mean, he's just, in my eyes, nothing special. Oh, you mean like the type of player the Mets signed Keon Broxton to be, except he <laughs> turned into, what was the Allen? Uh, well, I, mean, I can't even think of the guy's name you were just talking about. Greg Allen. Greg Allen. I was about to say Eric Allen. I'm like, that doesn't <laughs> sound right. But, yeah, that's pretty much what Keon Broxton turned into for the Mets last season. Oh, jeez. Oh, uh, yeah, that was a that was a blew up right in their face situation. Now, uh, one former player for both of our teams has popped up back in the news. And that'd be the one, the only, Bartolo Colon. Uh, the biggest of sexies. What's, <laughs> this is, yes. Uh, Bartolo Colon, um, you know, Mets legend, Bartolo Colon. And he's been everywhere. And he won Cy Young's places. And he's he's been much better in other places. But, uh he is our absolute hero. I love Bartolo Colon. He is a cult hero in Queens. Unreal. Unreal. And we loved him from the very start. I think he, I don't know if it was his first season with us, but he made this uh, behind the back toss. I'm sure people may have seen the clips if you haven't. It's on YouTube. Yeah. But uh, just a little dribbler towards the mound and he runs it down because he's absolutely swift on his feet. He's um he's a rotund athlete, which uh, of course <laughs> hits me right here. He's just, it, it, it endears him to me specifically, but uh, you know, just, he runs down the ball, tosses it behind his back and gives this little smirk. And if, if you've watched Bartolo Colon, you're familiar with the Bartolo smirk and it's just, it's glorious. It's one of the high water marks of baseball in its long history. It's just, it's perfect. And um, you know, I'm sure everybody knows Bartolo's not a perfect person. None of us are. Mm-hmm. But what he does on the baseball field is absolutely magic. Um, 
magic. I can't I can't say enough. If I, if you let me, I'll go on for twenty minutes. So I'll stop. Oh, you you can keep talking about Bartolo Colon as much as you want. Uh, how does he do it? The guy threw like thirty eight strikes in a row at one point. I forgot what's he. Maybe he was with Oakland. How like he doesn't? He throws one pitch, maybe two. Maybe he'll throw a changeup in there once in a while. Maybe. And that's just to fuck with people. Like, that's only to get a smile out of the batter. Like, you never thought I was going to throw that. He doesn't – he barely breaks 90, but he can put the ball wherever he wants. He's uh, – I'm trying to think of a, of a combination of two pitchers. Uh, he's Jamie Moyer and Greg Maddox in one. Okay, okay. He's not going to overpower you, but he will put the ball wherever he wants. And uh, and he'll even hit a home run. And I, I swear one I want to get that – <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. It happened. It happened that was legendary. And, legendary. Um, amazing. And you, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar. I'm, I'm sure you, you poke around Mets Twitter, so you've seen them. The Seven Line, which mm-hmm. is a Mets fan group. And they travel all around the country. They'll do, um, you know, a half dozen whatever mm-hmm. uh, trips a year, go around the country. They were in San Diego for that game. So the whole they had a whole section in the outfield that was just Mets fans. And, uh, yeah, they collectively lost their shit. It was amazing. Yeah. I, I, you know, the anniversary of that was just like, what, a week or two ago? Um, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, oldest player ever to hit his first home run. And just uh, hearing the audio on it, like, they can't even, you can't even believe that the that's actually happening. They're, 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 like, laughing that he actually hit a home run. Yeah. Well, all right. So, Gary Cohen, who's the Mets <laughs> play-by-play guy, who's going to be, I'll call it now, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. Um He's a lifelong Mets fan. He's been a Mets fan. He grew up in Queens. Um, just diehard. He's a walking Mets encyclopedia. So he knows the importance of uh, of Bartolo Colon hitting a home run. You have Gary, um, excuse me, uh, Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling also in the booth. Uh, very, you know, prominent fixtures in uh, in Mets history. Uh, who, you know, in the booth they've become absolute cult heroes uh, in Flushing as well. It's um, you know, the joy, you can hear the joy in their voices. I believe Ron Darling, like, it's almost like a giddy cackle in the background as Gary Cohen is announcing it. And that's how we all felt. It was, it was just, it was beautiful. It was great. And, uh, yeah, he can, I know he's trying to do a little comeback right now, but, uh, you know, if the Mets want to take a flyer on him, I don't, I don't know where they would put him, but I, I couldn't argue with it. I mean, come on. How about uh, Bartolo Colon uh, Universal DH? <laughs> oh, my God. Give, imagine giving him four at-bats just once in the season. Oh. Every time he swings, his helmet flies off. I'm not sure if anybody's noticed that. Oh, every oh, time. Every, swings, time. There's a every gif single of, time. There's a gif on Twitter of, of him, of every single, of just his helmet flying off. I'm just going to go find it and tweet that gif with no context right now. Um, yeah, just, be, <laughs> just, nice. be, just because it's so legendary. I <laughs> saw a gif of, uh, of that. It's, it's like in slow motion and his helmet flies off. And then like little uh, – it's like little cherubs from like a, like a Michelangelo painting. Grab the helmet and fly off with it. It's amazing. Yeah, I wish I, I could find that on my phone somewhere. <laughs> yep, just tweeted the Bart- Bartolo Cologne helmet flying off gif. No context. Uh, <laughs> Every time. And like, you know, like beer league softball where you have like a, a pinch runner from the plate, uh-huh. like, you know, you have that one third baseman who just can't run. His knees are torn up. So you have someone else run for him. Yeah, I, I would let that fly just for Bartolo. Let him play in any National League city. I would let a pinch runner run from the plate just for Bartolo. 
I mean, that'd be that'd just be fun to watch. Uh, Anything. Apparently, if apparently, we're going to see, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. I said apparently Bartolo Colon can actually hit in batting practice. It's just when it's actual, actual uh, game situation, he just uh, is entertaining, but not for putting the ball in play. Except for that one time. Yeah, I think he's picking. I think he was just picking his spot. I, you know, a pitcher's not going up there every time for a base hit. Sometimes, you know, even mm-hmm. just from the from the the signs or from the dugout, it's like, yeah, just take. You are good right now. But uh, when he, whenever he swung, he took hacks, man. Like he was um, he was swinging for the fences every time he went up there with the intent to swing. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew. Everybody knew. As soon as he made contact, he was going to give that ball a ride. And he'd hit doubles before, and he, he'd he gotten a hold of, of a few balls. And seeing him leg out a double was just the best. But, uh, um, you know, you knew the, the possibility of him connecting and hitting a home run was there. You just never thought it was actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, James Shields, I want to say, was the pitcher who, yep. uh, who allowed it. <laughs> Big game he, James. He, he, Yes, yeah, a big game James who secured Fernando Tatis for the Padres. But uh <laughs> even he's like come to embrace it. He's like that's a, you know, that's a a watershed moment for the game. I'm happy to have been a part of it. And that's awesome. Yeah. Looking at uh Bartolo Colon's uh, stat line in his career. 21 seasons, 25 hits, four doubles, and one home run. Unreal. Uh, how about this slash line? 0. 0.084, 0. 0.092, 0. 0.107, 0. 0.199 OPS. I want to find out who the pitcher was who walked him. <laughs> See, yeah. How do you walk? How do you walk Cologne? I guess if you if you're worried that he's gonna fucking hit a hit a bomb off you, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to pitch smart to him. Yeah, one career walk, and that was in. Let's see. That was 2016. It was with the Mets. Let, let me okay. find. I, I gotta find out who walked him. Now, see. Now you just tweeted out the GIF. If the pitcher has a Twitter a Twitter handle, I'm gonna remind him right now that he walked Bartolo Colon. Okay, hold on. I want to find see. out. You know, if it was intentional, I'm gonna have to. Um, Why would you intentionally watch it walk the pitcher? Right. Yeah. Oh, I take okay. that back. It wouldn't happen. Let's see. Intentional walk. Intentional walk. Nothing. Bartolo Colon, he was walked. Who walked him? Yeah, you're gonna have to find like the inning. The <laughs> sorry for the delay, everybody. Oh, We're this both... is this is just it's 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 too good. Though. Hold on, it's got a uh, Colon. This is perfect. It's Bartolo Colon, so come on. You know, he yeah, to... I think he, he gave up a a double to Robbie Ray too. Robbie Ray's a good a good hitter. Yeah, let's see. Like there are pitchers who can hit, especially on the Mets. But uh, I think the upside of the um, the universal DH, especially for this roster, is just it outweighs, you know, that those two hits a week that Jacob Degrom might give you. Let's see, Bartolo Colon reached on an error. <laughs> nice. And he was walked by Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray walked him. Okay, Robbie. so we're gonna have to give him shit next time he comes to to City Field. We're definitely <laughs> gonna have to let him hear that. Yep, Robbie Ray walked Bartolo Colon. Like you would think you'd be some scrub, not like a not not a good pitcher like Robbie or, Ray, or, or like a position player pitching or something. It's funny, man. Position players pitching, all they do is throw strikes. Yeah, <laughs> they just they know it. Like, all right, you know, there's nine guys behind you. Let's turn this into 1950s baseball again, where. Put it in play. There's nine guys, eight guys behind you. 
Let's see. Oh, man. Just, I can't believe that Bartolo Colon has one career walk and one career home run. See? And on, they, <laughs> on base king. <laughs> and they came in the, was it the same season or no? When he is 2016? Yeah, I believe it is. Yeah. 2016 was the, uh, and he, and he yeah. got an all-star game nod that year. Not to be forgotten. Yeah, 2016, first career walk, first career home run. Uh, career high in doubles with two. <laughs> Unreal. Two doubles that season. Yeah, and, two. A, and a, and a 3.99 ERA at 43 years old. The, the thing about Bartolo Colon, let me touch on his pitching one last time. I'm going to ask you a question. Um, is that a lot of people like to talk about control when pitching. But when yeah. it's with someone like Cologne, it's, he's not controlling, he's commanding. He's commanding right. his pitches. He's got pinpoint accuracy. It's command that you want. You don't necessarily... Control is fine, but if you can command your pitches, that's the difference. And that's what he does. He does. I think... Um, I'm looking at it right now. In 2015 and 2016 for the Mets. 2015, he led the majors. 1.1 walks per nine. 2016, he led the National League. 1.5 walks per nine. That's a pitcher above 40 who all he has left is control mm-hmm. and command and like you said, pinpoint accuracy, and it's um, it just it was a joy to watch. All right, so here's my question for you: Who would you rather bring back, Bartolo Colon or Matt Harvey? James, why would you do this to me? Because I got to put you on the hot seat here. <laughs> I am. I feel the heat right now. Um, <laughs> Matt Harvey. Both wait. You're saying both of them are minor league deals. Both minor league deals. Identical minor league deals. Identical I, minor league deals. Oh, Matt Harvey, just because his ceiling is higher at this point. That's fair. But I, 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 now I'm second guessing myself. How do I say his ceiling is higher when all Cologne does is throw strikes? Yeah. Oh boy. Um. Don't have to worry about Harvey batting. So. Yeah. Even though he wasn't terrible, he wasn't a good bat. But I, yeah, he wasn't a bad a bad hitter at all. He was an athlete, man. He was, uh, you know, Harvey. We were so excited about Harvey, and his downfall was, um, it was upsetting. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. Harvey, I think, um, I think, just I'm not even looking at the players, the people, nothing. I'm not looking at anything but in my head at least stats and what each brings to the table as a pitcher. And if Harvey's still throwing 94, let's say, let's say his fastball's 94, 93, mm-hmm. and he still has that array of slider and curve and changeup that are all plus, plus, plus pitches, mm-hmm. he's just a little bit slower, and he's kind of learned how to pitch as opposed to throw. I think that could be a bigger asset to a team right now than a 40, my goodness, 47-year-old who – just knows exactly where and how to pitch. He knows yeah. exactly what to do in every position. And, um, you know, what was his last his last season's? Oh, it, was, yeah. it was 2018 with the Rangers. He turns 47 tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yo, happy birthday, big sexy. 
Tomorrow uh, would be May 24th. Uh, this is getting released after that, but, you know... That's okay. Uh, when this released, happy belated birthday, Big Sexy. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I'm saying this without my heart, Matt Harvey. With my heart, C- Cologne, because he just makes us so happy. Okay, okay. Cologne would be fun. Uh, Matt Harvey would be fun different way, you know, redemption story, go back to where he began... Uh, oh, but if he turns into a if he turns into a real contributor, that could be even more fun. The Dark Knight Returns. Oh my God, we'll go nuts. Oh geez, no, perfect, perfect marketing campaign. He comes back to New York, redeems himself. They just label it as the Dark Knight Rises, just like the movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my God, dude, the the, the possibilities are endless. And you know, in my head, I would like to think that. You know, Harvey's past all that, and he just wants to go out and play. But the fan base would kind of make give that a life of its own, and um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, it, that has the potential to be um, a very, very fun, exciting time. But again, these are both long shots that either oh, yeah. I mean, come, come in on a minor league deal, succeed, perform well, succeed, and uh, and you know, break. I can't even say that breaking the rotation would be that tough, but there are guys who are all there right now. But even in the bullpen, I think Matt Harvey in the bullpen with that um, with that repertoire could really be a force. Yeah, and you know this is all hypothetical chances of happening at or near zero, but yeah, but just a, a, a fun, <laughs> just just a fun, uh, you know, what if scenario. Oh yeah, the best. What ifs are the best. And you know, he, pure entertainment wise. Cologne uh, would be my choice, but if uh, I'm I'm looking from a, a standpoint of outside of pure entertainment and fun, it'd probably be Harvey, I guess. Yeah, you know, and you never know. Harvey was a um, you know, he was a competitor, man. He would get fired up on the mound. He'd get the fans going. Uh, I'll never forget, you know, and it <laughs> didn't quite turn out to be true, but uh, big game. 2015 uh, Harvey versus Strasburg and Harvey's just absolutely dealing and Strasburg's having a nice game but the Mets got to him and all of City Field is chanting Harvey's better and again it wasn't quite true but boy uh, it certainly has the potential to be a a rallying point for this club at least among the fans but uh, yeah long long shots for sure and um, if I'm the Mets honestly for the minimal risk bring them both in if either of them crack the major league roster and can contribute, that's a win, man. Yeah, definitely agree. Uh, you know, what's what's the worst that happens there? Oh, I shouldn't say that with the Mets. Um, uh, something <laughs> will happen. Somebody will drop a fucking vase on their foot. <laughs> They'll go hang out with, with fucking Yoda Cespedes and go get chased down by a warthog or something. <laughs> we don't joke about that, James. No, it's okay. We, we joke about it. <laughs> Oh man, uh, I think that's a, a good spot to end right there. Uh, some uh, hypothetical, theoretical uh, hanging out with Cespedes on his farm. Uh, <laughs> would like to thank you for coming back on. As you know, we talked about the Mets, their uniforms, uh, you know, Mickey Callaway, which was a little surprise there, but always a fun conversation to talk about, and uh, Matt Harvey and Bartolo Colon. Yeah. Oh, we, we ran the gamut today. And you're really, man, it's always a blast coming on. Lots of fun. Uh, I'm going to have to do my homework on the AL Central because uh, 
next time I want to really dig kind of deep. I'm, I'm enamored by the Chicago White Sox, and I'm sure I'll get a uh, a decent a decent response out of you regarding them. Oh, of course, and uh, we can uh, we can arrange for that to happen uh, in the near future. All right, that's what I was trying to secure. Our, oh, mission mission, mission accomplished. <laughs> come on, <laughs> basically an open invitation over here. My man. All right. <laughs>